Welcome to the Reach Out Podcast, a show where we explore how researchers at Arbo University and elsewhere use digital technologies to disseminate their knowledge, as well as connect with different audiences. This podcast is supported by generous funding from the Digitalization Strategy at Arbo University Denmark and produced at Arbo University Business School. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at ReachOut, that's ReachOut with A-A-U-T in the end. And now let's jump straight into the interview. So with me on the line here today, Sven Brinkmann, and thank you so much you could join this interview for the Reach Out podcast. Uh, I mean, you're this, I would say, rather busy person uh, with so many different <laughs> projects, so many cool projects, uh, aside from being a professor at Alba University. But uh, I mean, you're like all over the place, I see, you know, in TV and radio and all kinds of places. And it's, a, it's great you had time for this interview. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for inviting me. That's awesome. So let me start. I mean, you know, often when we have people on this podcast, it's a little bit hard to figure out, you know, who they are, what they do. With you, it's very, very easy because you just open Wikipedia and then you type <laughs> in your name and uh, it's, uh, it's present there in four languages. And uh, it says the following, Sven Bringman is a Danish professor of psychology uh, in the Department of Communication and Psychology at Olbe University, Denmark. He serves as a co-director of the Center of Qualitative Studies. His research is particularly concerned with philosophical, moral, and methodological issues in psychology and other human and social sciences. And then it just goes on and on. And it also starts talking about, you know, your, um, also your kind of other life as this media personality, I would say, as uh, hosting uh, radio shows, as uh, doing a lot of communication. And that's why for this podcast, it's really, really nice to have you and just to see your perspective as being this person that's really out there. So... Is this is this a correct correct description, or does Wikipedia lie here? <laughs> well, I, I guess it's uh, rather accurate. Yes, uh, of course. Um, being Sven Brinkman, <laughs> I, I would uh, maybe I don't know phrase some things a bit uh, differently. But uh, it's not that the Wikipedia entry is is uh, is lying in any way. So, <laughs> so what would you add to that? Well, I would perhaps put a bit more weight on uh, my research contributions. Um, it did say, as far as I remember, that I'm a professor of general psychology and qualitative methods. And uh, uh, of course, I spend most of my time actually working with various projects in general psychology um, and also writing textbooks and teaching uh, qualitative methods. Uh, but uh, obviously, what people uh, broadly uh, sort of associate with me is the more public uh, persona. So it's no wonder that Wikipedia puts emphasis on on those <laughs> those aspects of my work. Yeah. And it's I think this is actually what I would like to talk with you about today. Is this you know? It, this bridging of being a researcher on the one hand and then being this public persona on the other hand. And, uh, you know, maybe let's start by just going a little bit back. How did you get into that? I mean, uh, like from uh, being a researcher to uh, being this public persona and having uh, the radio shows and all these things that you're doing. Yeah, um, I mean, for some years, yeah, in the beginning, uh, it, it sort of, gradually evolved. Um, I remember 
back in 2008, I believe it was, I was invited, I, I worked at Aarhus University back then, and I was invited to be a member of a panel that were to debate in a weekly radio program on, on national Danish radio, uh, societal issues uh, in a broad sense. Um, and uh, I agreed to do that, and uh, I was not on every week. It was a panel with uh, shifting um, members. But I guess once every month or so, I was uh, on the radio um, and uh, sort of I, I learned how to uh, address a public audience. I also began to do public talks, um, and uh, I slowly moved from just talking about my own research to becoming a more sort of public intellectual uh, discussing more general issues in in our lives and in our society so that was a gradual development but then in 2014 there was a more uh, qualitative shift you could say uh, when i published uh, a book which in english is called stand firm uh, which became very surprisingly, uh, both to myself and the publisher, a, a bestseller. And it, it has since been translated into many different languages. Um, it has made, been made into a, a play at the Royal Danish Theatre, and many sort of strange things uh, happened after the publication of that book. It was a, sort of a satirical guide to uh, modern individuals who are exhausted with the demands to change and develop and optimize themselves all the time. And instead of all that, it simply said, stand firm. Uh, you don't have to develop all the time. You're good enough. Um, but it was, you know, written in a quasi satirical way. And that was probably what sort of struck a chord in, uh, in, in Danish society. And, um, it, I went from being this sort of semi-known uh, person in, in the public sphere to being, uh, I mean, somewhat famous uh, to the extent that I'm now, you know, invited to participate in, in sort of entertainment programs on TV. Like there's a, a thing called, uh, I don't I forgot the English title, but in Danish it's Vilmedets. It's a program where... Um, you know, celebrities uh, learn how to dance with professional dancers. And of course, I decline those <laughs> invitations because I don't think it's a venue for me. Uh, I don't think it's compatible with being a, a professor of, of psychology. But just the fact that they invite me and keep returning and, and do it uh, uh, speaks to this strange thing that has happened with me uh since 2014 becoming uh yeah a person that you know many people know in uh, in 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 our society and uh, i i didn't ask for that <laughs> i didn't strive for that uh but but it happened and now i'm to be honest struggling a bit with how to navigate it uh, because it's it's not easy always to decide what to do and what not to do with this kind of platform that i have sure sure and it seems like it's it's very spiraling it's a uh, very similar in a way i mentioned a colleague before when we were chatting before the uh, i pressed the record button and it's actually mariana matsukato she's uh, coming from our community and she took this 
you know, she went from being a researcher basically uh, to now, you know, being all the time in Financial Times and yeah. Wall Street Journal. It's like being kind of like whenever, you know, the media needs an opinion about non-mainstream economics, that's like she's kind of this this name and then they pull, pull her in. And it, it's quite interesting to see how these careers develop and how it kind of spirals up yeah. uh, these things. And I think like what you describe, it's very, it's a bit similar, of course, in a very dis different discipline. And um, but how yeah. is it then to be a professor in this uh, in, in this uh, situation? Now you said okay, you're not going to be part of Wild Medens. Uh, that could have been interesting to see. <laughs> well. But uh, like in terms of I don't know, doing research, doing a project, just interacting. You know, I don't know maybe with PhD students or things like that that you may have or other colleagues. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I, I teach. Um, and, and meet our, my students there, and uh, I, I think it works well. I have uh, a number of PhD students, and I think uh, that works well. You know, when you have established this relationship with the students, uh, it, it's not a real problem uh, to be someone they probably know before meeting me for the first time. I think the biggest obstacle that this has created uh, work-wise for me is related to empirical research because I do a lot of um, qualitative research. Uh, I have done, uh, prior to all this, extensive uh, field work, ethnography. I've done a lot of uh, qualitative interviews with people and use that as a way of, you know, um, exploring the research questions that I'm interested in. And I, I can see now that this is becoming a bit difficult um, because, uh, I'm not just a researcher meeting uh, a research participant. I'm suddenly someone these research participants know of before and have all sorts of um, uh, preconceptions of. And, uh, you know, some are, I don't know, you know, they, if they ask for my autograph, for example, it's already an awkward relationship or a selfie. Uh, when I meet someone. So, so now I, I try, unfortunately, to avoid doing you know this um uh this kind of research uh, myself so i have of phd students and so on who do empirical research and i have a more um indirect uh, relationship to the uh, empirical material which i i regret uh, i i sometimes think about the possibility of uh getting my data uh, in other contexts in other countries uh, where people don't know me, <laughs> so but but I, I'm not complaining. I mean, it's it's a minor uh, issue, but it's it's something I I think about a, a little bit because I I really enjoyed and I have learned a lot from uh, doing my my research myself. Uh, you know, as a frontline researcher, and this is increasingly um, uh, complicated to do. Yeah, and that's. Um yeah, no, I totally understand that. It, uh, it must be quite interesting if you just meet someone and then they, the first thing they say, oh, could I have a selfie with you for? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah, no, I, I can see the issue there. Didn't happen to me, probably doesn't happen to so many people, but in your case, that's, uh, yeah. But I think that brings me a little bit to this whole idea about 
you know, when we usually do research today, I mean, you know, it's very institutionalized. We have papers, we have conferences, journals, points, all kinds of things, uh, reviewers, review, the famous reviewer too, and all these things. It's a kind of like a very narrow focus that is demanded from you, uh, you know, that you specialize in a very specific thing. And then, of course, you can harvest this, um, like, well increasing returns from being a specialist in something specific. How does that play together um, this whole academia machinery on the one hand with the big questions that you talk about in uh, your dissemination work? Mm. And maybe what could, that's like, would be question number two and maybe in continuation, uh, it would be interesting to hear what you think, like, you know, can someone learn from communicating the big, the big things to become better at maybe the more narrow things. Mm. If you are yeah, uh, to begin with that, I think, I mean, this is actually something I think about a lot and something I put a lot of emphasis on, you know, being able to, and I also did this before uh, I sort of became <laughs> a public persona, uh, which is also why I, I like to teach Uh, first-year students, I still do that. We have a, a sort of a um, standard course, uh, first semester in social psychology, which I was initially responsible for when I joined Oldboy University back in 2009, and now I'm just one of, of many teachers there. But I still do it because I think if, you know, these students, they know next to nothing about uh, academic psychology when they enter. And so I really enjoy the challenge of explaining often quite complex issues in a way that they can relate to and understand. Um, so if, if I cannot explain psychology to these bright students, then maybe I don't understand it myself. This is my, my teaching philosophy. And I also use it when you know, communicating to a larger uh, public uh, audience. If I cannot explain say, in a one or two minute interview on the radio uh, when a journalist wants to know something about something uh, in a way that makes sense, then I guess I don't really understand it myself. Uh, of course, there are really... Com I also do a lot of nerdy research about, you know, in the philosophy of psychology about the normativity of mental phenomena, etc. It's really difficult to understand. Uh, and, and hard to communicate. But, but I would say even those questions uh, can be talked about in a way that makes sense to, to most people. Uh, so I, I, I enjoy, uh, you know, com I, I communicating these things broadly and I learn from doing it. It's not just that I do research first and then I communicate to the public. By communicating with the public, I am inspired to raise new research questions, to see what reactions I get, uh, to learn from people what are actually important, what's important to them. Uh, and of course, I'm fortunate to be a psychologist working with you know, psychological phenomena that make sense to most people. I'm not a theoretical physicist or you know, someone who works with issues that are uh, far away from people's everyday concerns. Uh, in psychology, we, we deal with human emotions, thought processes, uh, developmental psychology, and so on, which everyone knows something about just in virtue of being human. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that, of course, is an advantage. And that is also part of the explanation why 
not just me, but also many of my uh, colleagues from psychology are often asked to talk about things that are not just narrowly within their expertise, because whatever we can say sort of resonates with with most people. Um, so I, I guess I'm trying to say that uh, I see and I put emphasis on a dynamic relationship between research and communication. Uh, it's not just that I do one and then the other as discrete faces or, or something like that. They they interact. Um, and I also come, this might be a, a, a bit nerdy, but, but from a, a pragmatist background uh, in philosophy, I've written books about John Dewey. And I, I think it's important that... Um, Researchers, especially philosophers, psychologists, those areas, those areas that I work with, um, engage with uh, society about issues that are important, about problems that we face, uh, and not just hide ourselves in, in the ivory tower. It, it's fine that some people do that, but I don't think we, we should all do it. I think we should be able to, uh, to enter uh, difficult uh, public discussions, even if we are not necessarily the expert on everything within that domain. But uh, but I, I I I realize that it's a dilemma because there is a risk of um, I don't know how to put it, but you know of um, deluding of your expertise or you know becoming the go-to person. Who has the reputation of oh this guy uh, will say anything about anything, just to have his voice heard or something like that? And, and this mm -hmm. is something we, we should really think about how to avoid. That's um, no, I think this is a great point. And it, it's funny you mentioned John Dewey because uh, every time this name is said, I get a bad consciousness because my supervisor, <laughs> when I finished my PhD, she she got me one of his books, uh, the book on logic. And uh, I remember trying to start to get through it so many times and, it, and, and never... No, <laughs> it's, it's not an easy book. No, it's not an easy book. No, 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 no. It stands there and it's just like, you know, this uh, this token of bad consciousness uh, next <laughs> to the yeah. desk at home. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it, no, it's but actually, I mean, his book on logic, I think it's from 38, 1938. It has the subtitle, A Theory of Inquiry. And it's not a book about, you know, formal logic uh, or something like that. It's a book about inquiry, how we understand the world, how we, how there are these dynamic uh, relationships between what happens and what we do, between experiencing something and acting in the world. And I, I actually think this is exactly what I would like to contribute to. Uh, by um, involving myself in 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 public discussions, you, you can you can see Dewey's work uh, almost as a blueprint for how I. Uh, I, I, I never like made this act. connection, but I think uh, <laughs> I think now I need to really we need to explore it also maybe in this project somehow. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, I mean, um, when I, I mean you have one uh, one rather popular program on uh, DR, uh, Brenkman's Breaks. It's, yeah. uh, you know, breaks like for people that uh, don't speak Danish, it's like this thing that you probably semi-sit lie on when you're yeah. uh, having a session. Yeah. 
I, I didn't choose a, the, the name. I, I wanted another name for the program, but the director of the <laughs> channel insisted that it should be Brinkman's Brex because of the two Bs. I didn't want my own name in the title, but he insisted. And I also didn't want the Brex, you know, the couch, because it uh, it's too much along the lines of Freudian psychoanalysis. And it, it, it's really, it's it has like, nothing it has to do with that, of, but yeah, no, it, it's just a it, very. It does not at all. But it's, a, it's a striking image. It's exactly uh, the first thing you think about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like you lie there, and it's it's a bit clicheish. But on the other Absolutely. hand, maybe this is how you get people to listen to. I, I guess I don't so. Know. Yeah, uh, it could be. It's like a catchy title, but um, you know. Uh, for, I, I listened in preparation for our chat today uh, into the last episode that just came out yesterday, I think, on on uh, meta psychology and you yeah, were sitting there. Metacognitive therapy, oh, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and 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 it's interesting how I mean you are of course the host of this uh, program in that mm -hmm. case, and then you sit there with uh, different guests, and it's not. I mean, of course, it's also you disseminating, but on the other hand, you're creating this platform for other people to talk about what they do. Mm. And uh, this in itself is a int very interesting process, I think, from a uh, perspective on uh, of a professor, of a person just generally being in academia, where this is not the first thing we think about when we talk mm. about research dissemination, right? It's much more linear, understood, like that you write your paper and then maybe you make it into a blog or maybe you make a video about a an article and or eventually you even write a book about this or something like this but here like what are your thoughts on this whole idea of like creating platforms like uh, that yeah or going to a, until a meta level of that now yeah i mean in the and, beginning when they asked me to do it i hesitated because i thought oh boy that's a lot of work and uh, i'm not a journalist so why should i be the host but they explained to me that they didn't want a journalist. They, want some, they wanted someone who, who knew about the subject matters. And it, it's a program about psychology in a very broad sense. So we also often have anthropologists or historians or you know, people from business. It could be many, many different artists, whatever. But to talk about, yeah, in, in a broad sense, what it's like to be human in, in this day and age. And yesterday, it was a very... A psychology focused program on this new uh, psychotherapeutic method called metacognitive uh, therapy and about its efficiency and so on uh, but but uh, sometimes it's it's completely different um, but now I see it I really I've come to enjoy it a lot uh, I see it as a fantastic gift that I week after week am able to meet uh, knowledgeable people who talk about uh, there are areas of expertise, and if it's something that I know something about, I can just you know join the conversation. I can challenge them, uh, and I can learn. So uh, hopefully the listeners learn something as well. But I certainly do in every uh, program. So in a bizarre sense, it's actually like doing research, <laughs> uh, sitting there, uh, not in a formal way, of course. But I, but I often come home with ideas for new projects, new articles, new angles, new questions. It's quite rare that I have the time to actually do something about it. But even having this long list of ideas, you know, every time is uh, immensely valuable. But certainly I have to negotiate my own role because I am not exactly a journalist uh, who just interviews. I also... Uh, become part of the conversation with these uh, guests and I'm all not 
just an expert. Sometimes I am, but most of the times I'm not the expert on the subject matter as such. Well, psychology in a broad sense, but not more specifically than that. Uh, and it's not a debate program. So I'm not also, uh, I'm also not a, you know, a, a panelist in a political debate or something like that. Uh, and and I, I really, even when I have people with whom I disagree, I, I try to tone down uh, the debate uh, climate or, or how to put it, because uh, I, I think it should be this open, curious conversation uh, between people. That's what we'd like to do with it. And uh, I think we succeed, uh, especially because I, and this is the only reason why I can do it, because, you know, it's a lot of work to do one hour of radio every week. Uh, but I have a guy, Christopher, who's also a part of the program, uh, who, you know, he produces it, he prepares it, he talks with the guests before, he gives me a manuscript, which I can, of course, uh, edit and use whatever in whatever way I want. But he does all the preparations, <laughs> and so it's uh, it's uh, easy for me, and it's possible for me in, in the first case to, uh, to 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 do this yeah. in my my busy <laughs> work life. Yeah. And I, I know this is not an easy job because, like, uh, I have. Uh yeah, it's a side project with uh, yeah. my project where actually we're going to run a pro podcast and I'm definitely not going to host it because I leave it to a professional, but I'm going to have, play, have to play this role of uh, producing it in this way. And that's, it's a lot of work and it you're is. very lucky that you have a person doing it for you. Yeah, certainly. But like kind of bringing it back to more of a practical um let's say in a situation but into this practical realm like let's think about maybe a phd student or a postdoc that uh, would like to do something like that i mean uh, you know on the one hand when you think about things like uh, there is this um, assistant professor training that universities offer uh, and uh, media and talking to me and these kind of thing dissemination is definitely not part of, part of it i have i haven't seen this being there yet mm. um this is also not something that really happens uh, when you you know become a phd student or a training for that or also later on it, it do you think it's a bit neglected uh, in the institutionalized academia situation i, I know it's a leading question here but uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess it's neglected, but I also think it's a bit difficult to institutionalize. Uh, it's a bit difficult to develop didactics for how to to learn this. Uh, when I began disseminating, communicating to the public, uh, I, I also didn't, you know, take courses or read books about it. I it was learning by doing, and I. Th think it's it's the only way of doing it of course it's not a bad idea to have a, a course that will help you and you know how to deal with the difficult issues that may arise uh, especially now with social media especially when politicians maybe take an interest in what you say as a researcher uh, you may get involved in all sorts of problems uh, which we have seen examples of in, in Denmark recently so so certainly it's good to be equipped and prepared uh, but how to do it well is something you can only learn in, in practice, I think. Uh, and I would suggest to, you know, PhDs or postdocs to begin with um, teaching a bit 
at uh, folk university, for example, where you meet people who are not uh, enrolled in, 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 in the regular university, but who show up for, for talks. And you can talk about your own research project. Uh, and if you're lucky, someone will come and, and listen to you and give you feedback. Uh, I, I, I did so many of those when I was uh, even mm -hmm. a, a graduate student uh, before becoming a PhD student. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there are different science blocks. In Denmark, we have, for example, Wiedenskab.dk, which uh, is, is a very good and popular site. And they, um, they have the habit uh, of inviting young researchers to answer questions, to write about their field of expertise, of course, but also sometimes about related stuff. Uh, and of course, we should be careful to distinguish between this is something I know something about, much about, because it's what I research every day. And this is something I have an idea of because I'm a psychologist or I'm a sociologist or whatever I am, but it's not my, my own uh, work that I uh, disseminate. Uh, but, but even making that distinction um, and getting used to, you know, um, sort of highlighting uh, what am I doing now? Am I disseminating my own research or am I giving a general comment based on the scientific expertise I have? That is something uh, we, we also uh, we should also try out in, in practice to see how people uh, mm. react, I guess. No, th those are two excellent suggestions, I think, uh, that you come with and like actually very actionable stuff. Mm, uh, yeah. But uh, for people that uh, didn't grow up in Denmark, uh, this whole concept of uh, Falco University, could you like briefly uh, tell what it is and how it works? Yeah, it's, um, it's not a university where you can have a degree or go to exams. Uh, it's just, well, just, it's, it's, it's all, I guess, Olbor, Aarhus, uh, Copenhagen and so on. They all have branches of this folk university that uh, uh, offer open courses. You pay a small fee to attend and then you can learn about everything from existentialism to medieval art to uh, healthy food or whatever researchers work on. Uh, not all lecturers are uh, academic staff. Uh, many are, but 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 some of them are, are just you know experts who may be I don't know high school teachers or whatever, and who also do this. Um, and in Denmark, we have not just the folk universities, but we really have a strong tradition of public talks um, at uh, our folk high schools which uh, is also sort of a special Danish thing, uh, going back to Grundtvig uh, in the 19th century. Um, and, you know, all sorts of little parishes with a church and they, they organize talks. Uh, people are willing to not just buy a ticket to go and see a concert or a stand-up comedian, but also a philosopher talking about uh, ethics or whatever in, in, in Denmark. It's, we have, this is what I like, almost what I like most about the country that I live in, uh, that, that we have a broad um, public interest in, uh, in, in, in knowledge, uh, actually, uh, I, I would say. And, and we're not afraid of uh, combining entertainment with, uh, with knowledge. 
So when I give public talks, it's not uncommon that, you know, a married couple, they go first and uh, have a nice dinner. They drink a, a glass of red wine and then they go and, and listen to me talk about one of my books. And uh, I, I think that's wonderful. Uh, it, it indeed is, and that's actually the first time I uh, hear someone in this podcast in this podcast series uh, mentioning that. And I think this is a very great point. Just like maybe trying to figure out what is this landscape of opportunities there, yeah. and uh, uh, start thinking about maybe it's not only your little community of uh, peers and researchers in the specific field that are interested in what you're doing, but maybe there is a way to you know have a series of a couple of lectures at a Falcon University. Uh, and uh, people will actually come and be interesting and also figuring out how to make this interesting uh, oh. for people you know how does it links to every people's everyday lives because at least for me in the times where I did things like that and gave uh, you know had webinars uh, now in the last uh, couple of months uh, one and a half years it's been mostly <laughs> webinars but yeah. it's still uh, it quite often just helped me then later also write applications for example uh, exactly. for funding because then suddenly you can reframe it for you know what is a funding agency maybe interested in as compared to yeah. uh, re uh, the reviewer I'm targeting when publishing an article and uh, that really helps oh, that's a good point of. I think that the two largest grants that I have had uh, I, I think I got them Because I was able, you know, based on many talks, for example, at the folk universities, uh, I was able to boil complex problems down to questions that were easy to understand for everyone. And, you know, the, the, the grant agency could see this is a relevant question. I understand what he's talking about, even if I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I would like to know the answer to this question. Let's fund it so we can figure out, find exactly, out. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so this just underlines my point that we shouldn't, in my view, think about dissemination as a separate phase detached from how you do research. You should think of it as integrated into your life as a researcher. Uh, which also feedbacks into how you formulate your questions and 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 develop your uh, your work as as, a, as an academic researcher. No, absolutely, and that's uh, so right. Um, it, I mean, it's all linked, and especially in social science and humanities, these things are actually important that allow you really to rethink, to ask yourself also, is it the right question or should mm. it be uh, going into this uh, direction? That The other thing that you mentioned, of course, uh, just writing for things like Villain Skeptico or other related things that also really helps just, you know, kind of redigesting in a small format, but also really having a deadline, not just like having a, a block That's your own blog that you may or may not do, uh, but uh, really, you know, having it kind of semi-institutionalized, formalized. Uh, I would like to ask you one final question, and you may say if this is too political or not, but you mentioned just yourself, and I completely forgot that. I wanted to, to go into that, and then I forgot uh, <laughs> the whole discussion that we had, uh, I think a month ago, one and a half months ago. Uh, it's time flies it's uh, probably soon two months uh with this uh these politicians coming out and saying that you know researchers uh stay in your universities <laughs> you know don't come out with uh, strange opinions that may go be too political and uh, pushing a political agenda uh, what is your you know what is your position there i was uh i wouldn't say shocked because i uh, I, i think i had an idea of these 
particular individuals, these politicians, what they wanted to achieve and what they stood for. But uh, but still, they managed to convince our entire parliament that there should be a, a collective statement from the majority of Danish politicians about, you know, universities should avoid activism, they should avoid politically loaded research. And uh, I think it's close to complete nonsense. I mean, uh, well, in, in one sense, it, it, it's sensible. But when you begin to, uh, because of course, we don't want biased research, we don't want researchers writing the conclusions before they even do the research. That's certain, but that's just so basic that it's not necessary to state this in the parliament. Uh, so, so it must mean something else. Uh, and, and, and if you begin to think through, well, activism, so much research is activist. Uh, almost everything in the medical sciences is activist. You know, they are actively trying to uh, pursue health and avoid uh, illness. That's in a way activism. That's sort of setting the whole agenda for uh, the medical sciences. Uh, in economics, you know, people are building their models based on ideas of growth, wealth, and so on. This is political. Uh, it's activism. Uh, it cannot be otherwise, because so much in our human world is loaded with values. And we cannot eliminate that from our work without eliminating the human life as we know it and, and human societies as we know them. So uh, now I'm getting into philosophy of science, of course, and uh, probably not the right place to do that. But um, I think it's, it's better for researchers and scientists to be aware of, uh, of the values that guide the research, uh, talk about it, write about it, than to pretend that they aren't there or that we could eliminate them from our work. Uh, so that's a, a point about philosophy of science. And, and I think it's quite dangerous that politicians now seemingly uh, want to uh, judge uh, concerning uh, scientific disputes. You know, scientific disputes should be solved among scientists, not among politicians. Uh, so. Um, so, so that that was uh, really depressing uh, to see, and for, fortunately, some some of the few politicians in our parliament, uh, for example, Stinus Lindgren, who hold a PhD a PhD degree, uh, countered this and argued convincingly why this move was really problematic, but. Uh, uh, I hope that his voice and, and those of other sensible people will will be heard in the future. Mm. And I was also glad to see the universities standing together, uh, even if you know much of this research that was attacked, I, I find problematic uh, as a researcher. But and probably our you know heads of universities and departments might do that as well. But that's not the point. The point is that even research that we find problematic should be defended in principle and then it should be uh, met with uh, collegial criticism uh, and it shouldn't be um, uh, censored uh, politically. That's a very <laughs> bad 
move that we normally don't associate with a liberal democracy such as ours. Yeah. No, and uh, I think you're absolutely right, and I think the, your example of uh, you know bringing in this idea about what is actually medicine, what is economics, what is all other things that yeah. are searching, you know, traffic probably. Yeah, yeah there there is. Uh, it's all there is. All some always some values underlying it. There is always some uh, positions underlying, it, and then uh, yeah, that cannot be the point. Uh, despite what you say, you know, some of the research may be problematic, uh, but that's not the point exactly no. um, and I think uh, just to round it off I, I think what you do is actually the absolutely right thing bringing academic and this kind of discussion into the public space and uh, giving researchers a face and uh, you know somehow uh, being out there is also probably part of it of uh, creating an environment where researchers are not just these strange people and lab codes somewhere that we have never seen <laughs> because that can happen somehow. Yeah. Uh, sometimes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining today and taking the time. Thanks that's for been, uh, a very nice conversation. Uh, that's been very, very cool. And I think uh, listeners of that and like uh, colleagues at AU, but also uh, elsewhere, can uh, really benefit from uh, this discussion and uh, your inputs. So uh, I don't know. Is there something? We for, uh, forgot we uh, you would like to add on. Or <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it could just go and on and on. Yeah, and on, right? absolutely. It but no, I, I think we, we covered uh, many important points. Awesome. So I'm very happy. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I guess you, I'll see you around and probably see you on TV. If not on the dancing uh, thing, well, maybe somewhere else. Not that one, but <laughs> maybe something else. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Okay, see you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.